Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking the Earth's Effect, the Wild Bunch, Pep versus Klopp, Geo, Tyler's Hammy, Spain's Tears, the U.S. Men's National Team Identity, El Salvador's Future, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, March 29th, on the year 2023? I am doing well. We are the NYCFC of podcasts, we my are. friend. We have yet another new home. Yes. Uh, for those that are watching, I don't, I'm not sure you'll, you'll notice the difference from an audio perspective, but for those that are watching, we are in a new home. We call this 1440 because it's uh, our satellite uh, Fox studio and has been for years. Many of us that have worked in soccer and other sports, but a lot of soccer has ultimately uh, come out of here. So this is a return of sorts. And I got to tell you, Masi, um, this is this is a temporary situation until our incredible new digital studios are uh, studios are ready back on the uh, the Fox lot. But the men and women that we have working at digital uh, have done an incredible job because they did not miss a beat. This looks great. It sounds great. It feels great. Um, and I would expect nothing less. But still compliments uh, to everybody and all the hard work that they did to turn this around really quickly. For me, this is an emotional homecoming. It's the return of the prodigal son. Uh, my first several years at Fox, I worked out of this building. I did some of my best work. This whole building should be named after me, to be honest. Uh, that's how much of a legend I was here. So it's great to be back and uh, looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, so so we did a lot of um, uh, off-tube type, type of stuff uh, and broadcasts over here. And there were times where there were multiple games happening and multiple... Um, teams coming in. I've you know I've called games here, and everybody that is anybody that has ever worked in at Fox when it comes to a soccer perspective at some point has come through here. So all roads do lead back to 1440. Uh, as I said, this is just temporary, but uh, we will be back uh, to our new studios, and they're going to be awesome. Uh, we'll tell you all about them as we get closer and closer to it because there's a lot of bells and whistles, uh, and we're just going to up it in terms of uh, the capacity and the content and the quality. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, did you watch anything or do anything interesting? couple of things. The final season of Succession is off and running. I was talking to our colleague Kat Donnelly about it. Uh, it is the best show on television. Fantastic first episode. Set up the season beautifully. Uh, I can't wait to watch what's in store the next few weeks. I know you're waiting for it to be completely done before you can binge it. Uh, yep. It won't, won't be long. Uh, another show that I'm really enjoying right now is Ted Lasso. Uh, this uh, Are you caught up on that? No. Uh, they've introduced this new character, Zava, who is clearly based on Zlatan Ibrahimovic. 
and he's terrific. So he's added a whole different dynamic to the show. So I, I'm liking this final. You season are liking this. Well, I mean, allegedly final season, and who knows? I think I think the way that Brendan Hunt kind of framed it, and the way that they have done it in the press is, I think there's going to be something. Maybe it's more of a spinoff uh, going forward. But the way that we think of it now, I think this is going to be the last season. You know, having said that, I have made my only exception when it comes to Ted Lasso in terms of watching it before it is completely done. But what I won't do is watch week to week because they're dropping week to week. They're, they didn't drop the entire season as uh, as some shows have done. So I'm waiting until this entire season is done. Then I will go back and binge it from start to uh, start to finish. I um, I watched a couple of different things. And again, for those that have been following over the last couple of weeks, you know that I'm on this this um, this kick from the 70s and uh, uh, and 60s to a certain extent and going back and watching old movies. Many that I have seen and kind of rewatching them, some that I haven't and some that are quote unquote classics. And look, it, it doesn't always work out, which is the case here. Uh, I watched The Wild Bunch. You know what this is, Mossy? This was a movie that came out in 1969, starred a bunch of then stars and stars in Hollywood greats, including William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. And it's a... Um, it's a uh, it's a western. It's a western, and it is a classic western. It was nominated for Academy Awards. What a piece of crap this is! My <laughs> God, horrible, absolutely horrible. Two thumbs down, rotten rating, whatever the hell you want to call it. I cannot believe that this got so much attention and uh, is revered by many. And there's there's some like best of lists out there that actually have this in it, and I. It just blows my mind. I can't even believe it. I struggled just to get through it, uh, through it all. Not because it's violent. I mean, look, I live in 2023. I mean, violence, especially on film, is something that doesn't phase us for better or worse. It doesn't phase us anymore. And so that that because it was very it was looked at as very violent for the moment. I just think that it was a disjointed, confusing, and ultimately boring western that. I just, again, I can't even believe it. So I, I could not have a worse possible reaction and rating to that. So don't watch The Wild Bunch. And if you do, maybe you'll like it. But uh, let me know if you uh, do watch it. Um, I, I, my mom wanted me to say hello, by the way, because I talked to her coming in uh, to the, uh, the studio today. And I'll just tell you this, this, this story. You know how in, uh, on the freeway, every once in a while, you'll see uh, the police uh, will come and they'll just shut down the freeway if there's something going on? So that happened today on the 405. For those that don't know, 405 was one of the main arteries, and it is always packed, okay? So I got on the 405, and I come up the ramp getting on the 405, and I come out to this entire open, excuse me, open freeway, not a car on it, complete like dystopian wasteland, because this is never, ever the case. And I look in my rear view mirror, and about a half a mile back, there's, there's cop cars all over the place. So they have stopped whatever it is, but I'm just ahead of it. And so I get onto the freeway and for about five miles, it was just me and an empty 405 freeway at three o'clock in the afternoon. And you know that this is like a, a complete aberration anomaly, uh, never been seen before. But um, I was talking to my mom while this was all happening. I was explaining this to her, but she didn't want to talk about that. She wanted to talk about you uh, and how much she loves you and uh, to make sure that I said hello to you. Well, I say hello back. All right. Tell her to email me. It's been a while since she's done so. I'd I will. I did. I told her the story that you told me the other day of uh, going to lunch and having somebody that has seen you and watches you on the pod come up to you and, you know, ha have that celebrity moment. And I told you not to get that big head. So she was she was very excited that you uh, that you had that moment and that you're coming becoming a big star to, to, to her. You are always a big star. 
but that other people are, are, are recognizing that she was uh, jacked about. All right, uh, enough about my mom and the, and the uh, 405 freeway. Should we light this candle? Let's do it. All right, where should we start, my friend? Let's start with the U.S. women's national team. They have uh, two friendlies coming up, both against the Republic of Ireland. April 8th in Austin, April 11th in St. Louis. These are tune-ups ahead of the World Cup this summer in Australia and New Zealand. And Vlad Kontanovsky named a squad yesterday. The big story, the return of Julie Ertz for the first time since the Olympics. Yeah, let's not bury the lead. That is the story. Now, uh, when, t when talking about this, I, I think it's important, first off, to understand that there are, um, I guess at this point, contractual and therefore um, binding types of things that have to happen when U.S. women's national team players and U.S. men's national team players, for that matter, are not part of the team. From the women's side, uh, when you're pregnant and these types of things, and when you take time off, there are um, there are things that have to happen. And uh, we know that Julie Ertz has taken, now it's been 20 months since her last competitive game. She has had a child during that time and has kind of been out of sight and out of mind, so much so that I think a lot of us looked at 2023 and Australia and New Zealand as this was not going to include Julie Ertz. And that's a big loss, especially for a team that has relied on her so much over the last two World Cups and is vying for that unprecedented third in a row. So to see her name there was kind of jarring because I don't think a lot of people expected this. And I don't think this is just contractually satisfying what the uh, the uh, the CBAs are with uh, with the national team. I do think this is with an eye to her potentially coming back and being as important as she can be and as we have seen her in the past. Now, she's still got a long way to go. She doesn't have a team yet. She obviously hasn't played a, a soccer game, but there is plenty of soccer available for her to play, as Vlatko Andovnowski made very, very clear, and for others to play as we lead up to it. And he made it very clear that just because you're on this list doesn't mean that you are going to necessarily be on the World Cup team. And just because you're not on the list also doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be on the World Cup team. But the story is Julie Ertz. Now, Julie Ertz, let's say she's at 75. She says she's been working out and she put out a statement and she says she's been working out. Let's say she's at 75%, 80%, all right? Even an 80% Julie Ertz, all right, is better than what the U.S. Women's National Team has in this midfield right now. And it's not that they don't have quality and talent, but Julie Ertz is that good and that important as we have seen. So if she can come back even to an 80% level, that still gives me more confidence for the U.S. midfield, which is something that, ha that has been a, a source of uh, consternation and change. So to have her come back and solidify it, if she can, at the highest level, that is great because Julie Ertz is that important to this national team. And look, I am I am praying and knocking wood that she that her comeback stays on course and that she starts playing soccer, obviously, because I think that she can come in, not miss a beat. And automatically with her being there, she can make this team better. But you would agree this is an indictment on the Andy Sullivan's of the world. If uh, Vladko felt good about that position, he would not be bringing Julie Ertz back into the fold. It is. I mean, you can look at it that way. I would look at it the other way. I would look at it as this is how dominating and awesome Julie Ertz is. Okay. I mean, if N'Golo Kante came back, you wouldn't say, oh, this is an indictment on the midfield. You say this is one of the great players who fundamentally changes not only the, the team dynamic, but how the team wants to play and how Vladko Andonovsky actually can play because of the, the space and the, the space on the field 
and the space in other in the opposition in terms of what she can do out there. So I I look at it the other way. I look at it as this is this is much more a confirmation about how good Juilliard is and can be. Uh, one name not on the list, Katarina Macario. She's not quite back yet. They said soon she'll be playing for her club team Lyon. But these are the last games for the U.S. before the World Cup squad is announced. You would have liked to have seen her get on the field with the U.S. to kind of develop that chemistry again with her international teammates. So she's so talented, you'll wait on her. But she is cutting it close here. And you wonder if she's going to have enough games to kind of get that rhythm back, knock the rust off. Are you worried at all about Macario? I'm not. I mean, I think... I think it will be very readily apparent if she is ready or not. And I don't think it's necessarily going to have a have a hard time translating it to the national team. I mean, look, this is a problem with her. She's racing to get back. This is a problem with Beth Mead. I don't think she's ultimately going to get back for England. So this is something that happens with all teams and it's just timing and and it could be a problem. But I don't think that she might not have an opportunity to play with the national team is necessarily going to rule her out. This is a goal scorer. And it's the most valuable thing in our game. And even somebody that has been out, if you can afford to take someone like that, and I think you can. I mean, you have wonderful players, you know, Sophia Schmidt and obviously Alex Morgan is back in the in the fold. So you have good goal scorers, but there still is nobody quite what like what Katarina can uh, uh, can do for this team. Uh, Sophia Smith back in the mix. She missed the last couple of games with an injury. You look at that forward line, Sophia Smith, Mallory Swanson, Trinity Rodman, Alex Morgan. If you plug a healthy Macario back in, the firepower yep. this U.S. team has it gives is you incredible. options. No. gives you options. So, yeah, I mean, look, this is going to be fun. Um, you know, this, uh, this game, uh, it was two games, right, against Ireland? <clears throat> yep. So two games. So an opportunity against, you know, not great competition, but a team that's going to be in the World Cup. So they're preparing for the World Cup. That kind of stuff uh, is, is important. And you can look to kind of finely tune some things uh, going forward. And look, if, if Julie Ertz ultimately is there, these are two more games that you can kind of get to see what she's all about. And I like that the second game is in St. Louis, uh, the new soccer capital. It of is country. the capital of uh, of the world, as they will uh, <laughs> they will <laughs> tell you at every given opportunity. Uh, all right, so any of that uh, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. And I think it was, and I think that it is top of mind because of the surprise of Julie Ertz. And we're getting closer and closer, Masi, to this uh, to this World Cup, and I can't wait. It's really going to be fun down there in Australia, New Zealand. And uh, as I said, to have our U.S. team, who once again, number one in the world and looking to get that third World Cup unprecedented, never been done before between men uh, when it comes to the men's or women's side, uh, is pretty something. It's pretty special. Uh, switching gears to the men, before we get to the games they just played, uh, some news involving the U.S. captain, Tyler Adams. He missed these last two games because of a hamstring injury, and now we find out it's worse than initially imagined, and he's going to have to have surgery on it. They haven't given an exact timetable yet, but they're saying a lengthy spell on the sidelines. Obviously, terrible news for Leeds. We'll talk about that in our next segment. But you start to wonder, too, if he'll be back for the Nations League semifinals, which we now know will be against Mexico, the other semifinal, Canada, Panama. I was harping on this a lot the last few days, the midfield composition, the lack of a six in this squad. You could get away with it against Grenada and El Salvador, but I'm not so sure against the likes of Mexico and Canada. Tyler Adams, big loss. Huh? Big loss. Big loss for both teams, obviously, for Leeds, who continue to you know try to figure out a way to stay up, and for the U.S. going forward with this summer. And, and also long-term, because, you know, Moss, we, we have talked about Tyler Adams and the incredible 
player that he is and I think also the incredible leader that he is. And even leading up to the World Cup, we get asked this question constantly, you know, who's going to be the breakout player? Who's really going to make an, uh, an impact? And I think time and time again, many of us were saying it's Tyler Adams. He's not going to do always the, the flashy stuff, but the work that he does is vital to the success of whatever team he's playing for. And I think we've seen that with Leeds. We've certainly seen that with the U.S. men's national team. My, my worry is, I mean, this is surgery on your hamstring. We all know that hamstrings, they pop. And many players, many great players have had problems. And I worry that it becomes chronic. I'm glad at least they're shutting him down and they're going to fix it here and knock on wood that the surgery goes well and he can come back better than he was before. But if this becomes a problem going forward, uh, that's 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 not a good thing. And it would it would break my heart because the sky is the limit, I think, for Tyler Adams, unless his body breaks down or he starts experiencing injuries that make him less of what he is or what he can be. Any final thoughts on this window for the U.S.? I know we did spaces after each yeah. of the games, victories over Grenada and El Salvador, but put a ribbon on this window for everyone. I think it ultimately was a successful, um, in terms of the results, uh, window. I think it was informative to a certain extent. You know, keep in mind, this is not the full team, all right? This was devoid of any MLS player except for uh, Miles, which is wonderful to see him back on the field, and I don't think he missed a beat. I think he's <laughs> going to continue to be uh, a, a starter in that, uh, in that, back, uh, in that back four. Um, I don't think that – I think, Christian, that first game was great. Second game wasn't, and so it's which Christian are we going to see ultimately? But his importance and the, his ability to impact a game, I think, was evident in, that first, uh, in the first game. Geo, I don't think, and you know, Geo is almost a separate conversation because of all the drama and all the baggage that now comes with Geo. I don't think that he changed anybody's mind. Those that think he's, you know, a great young talent, and that's most of us. I don't think that that was changed. But I also don't think he lived up to some of the expectations that we have. And you know, I talked about this on the uh, on the spaces earlier in the week that his demeanor. And his body language that constantly gets refer, <laughs> referred and referenced, I don't think that that's going to change. And that did not change in terms of the two games that we saw. And there, there seemed to be this, this idea that he, because of what happened, was going to step on the field and be a completely different person, a completely different player, or at least attempt to mollify and, 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 and change the perception of him. Well, I don't think that perception was changed in the slightest going forward. I don't know if that's good or bad, but Geo is just still Geo. And until Geo is the Geo that we all think he can be, he's still going to be a good but not a great player. Uh, we did get an Ask Alexi question about dual nationals, so we'll revisit the Balogun topic good there. Tease. As far as what the U.S. has coming up, I mentioned they'll play Mexico in June in the Nations League semis. They actually play Mexico April 19th in a friendly, which is going to most likely be an MLS squad because it's outside the FIFA date, so you can't get the European guys. So You can two, never have too many U.S.-Mexico games. I was going to say, lost. two U.S.-Mexico <laughs> games coming up. So Yeah, I mean, this is not necessarily from a Nations League perspective the way they, they drew it up. But look, if, if Mexico isn't going to do, uh, do their business, especially at home at the, uh, at the Azteca, then they fall to fourth. And so U.S. finishing first out of the, uh, in the top four will have to play Mexico. Not have to, or going to play Mexico. Um, but you kind of want them in the final. The other semifinal is going to be Canada and, uh, and Panama. You know, both of these Mexico games are good. With the MLS team that's going to come in, it's a chance to play against Mexico. Mexico, new coach, kind of going through a transition here. But 
I think I said before, it doesn't matter when, how, what, what the circumstances are. It's U.S. Mexico. People get up for it. People get excited for it as the as they should. the The Canada Panama game is going to be interesting. Um, obviously, I want the U.S. to beat Mexico, and that's not going to you know necessarily be handed to them in that semifinal game. And then I kind of want can I, I want Canada in the uh, in the final. And Canada's feeling good. You know, they uh, <laughs> they they crushed Honduras to get to this uh, semifinal, and also. Uh, in the process, kind of are you know feeling their oats after finishing first in Concacaf. Although it has to be said, it, they did not <laughs> cover themselves in glory in terms of their first World Cup appearance since 1986. But I think they're feeling like they are the big dogs in Concacaf. I, I still think, regardless of when all is said and done, Canada is still number three behind uh, Mexico, and then number one is the U.S. Uh, Kyle Laren would disagree with you. Yes, he Kyle to Laren, Canada as yes, the yes. big boys of CONCACAF. Well, okay. I mean, it's, you know, he can bark all he wants. So go back to U.S. and Mexico. The April game is in Glendale, Arizona. And then the Nations League semifinal is in Las Vegas. So that'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch Zendejas in those games. Again, we'll revisit this dual nationals topic in Ask Alexi. The semifinals in Vegas? Yep. Oh, okay. So beating Mexico in Vegas is, is on the cards. Uh, yeah. Right? Okay, perfect. Uh, you and I spent most of this international break covering Euro 2024 qualifying yes, we did. the first two match days, uh, which was a lot of fun. I think you and I both came out of this World Cup, out of the World Cup, feeling like France and England were the two strongest European sides, and that was reinforced yeah. the past few days. Both of them with two wins out of two. England won two one away to Italy, and then took care of Ukraine two 0 at Wembley. France four 0 over the Netherlands, and Mbappe with two goals in that one, and then one 0 away to the Republic of Ireland. Pavard with the only goal there. Uh, those two sides, very impressive. Huh? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it on air and we talked about it off air uh, with uh, with you. Yeah, I think that they are the cream of the crop. Um, there are certainly others that are going to be there. I mean, this, this reemergence, if you can say that after a couple of months of someone like um, Belgium or something like that, that's that's great. So there are other competitors, but I think it's it's got to be one and one A. Uh, France at one and England at one A. And, you know, keep in mind, it, it, we talked about this uh, on air where you have both of these uh, teams that have kind of stood fast with what they have, especially when it comes to coaches with Southgate continuing on. Next summer will be his fourth opportunity uh, to win a major tournament. And it, it hasn't happened, but I think in general, it has been an incredible success in terms of his campaign. And we talked about this, uh, um, you and I did, about where he is going to fall in the echelon of England managers. And I think that there is an argument, if he were to next summer, for example, win, uh, win Euros, that he could go down as the best manager out there. Now, people are going to come back because, well, England won a World Cup. And if, if, if that's the only thing that you, you bring into uh, the equation, then that's, that's fine. But I guess, first off, let's go to England and then let's talk about France. And by the way, that was Alf Ramsey in 1966, okay. so he would be. Yeah, the thing I would say about England, uh, we've seen how Rashford has emerged at club level. He didn't play in these two games because of injury. Bukayo Saka, too, is turning into one of the best players in the world. So you have the prospect at the Euros of a front three of Rashford on the left, Kane down the middle, and Saka on the right. That is scary. I mean, so that, that team is coming along very nicely. And let me say this. I already felt this way after the World Cup that the U.S.'s performance against England in that group stage game 
was the U.S.'s second best World Cup performance in my lifetime behind only that quarterfinal against Germany in 2002. Now, it's funny that I'm bringing up two games which they did not win and did not score a goal, but I, I honestly think those are the two best U.S. World Cup performances. I don't think you can say enough about how well the U.S. played in that World Cup game against England. They were the better team, and we see how strong this England team is. So when we're analyzing the U.S. World Cup performance in Qatar, I don't think you can overlook the fact that they outplayed this England team in a game that we're saying is one of the three or four best national teams in the world. I'm, I'm right so now. glad you brought that up. And I know it's hard to do. It's even it's hard to do for us because scores drive the narrative. I, I understand that. But if you can divorce yourself from the score, and this is not me saying that winning doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, it matters greatly. But to your point, when you are assessing this team, when you are assessing the progress of American soccer, when you're assessing the progress of this particular generation, hell, when you're uh, assessing Greg Berhalter, that game against England, if you didn't feel it in the moment, going back, and sometimes you need time, I, I, I completely agree that that was a wonderful, wonderful performance and maybe brought all of these things that at times we, we crave or we fight about to bear. And while the scoreline didn't you know, have that moment that lives on for the ages of, of beating England, the way in which the, the, the Americans played in that, I, I just, it, it was really, in the moment, I, I was heartened. But as we get further and further away, to your point, maybe as we look at it more and more, I think we will maybe take some more solace and be more confident going forward that if we can figure out a way to do that, because ultimately this is about being competitive against the elites of the world. And we just told you how great England is and how great England can still be, uh, not just the next year, but leading up to 2026. And the United States having such a good game in the way that they played, I think it says a lot about where we are, where, he, where we have been, and maybe more importantly, where we're going. Scotland with two wins out of two in Euro qualifying. Yep. They beat Cyprus 3-0 and then Spain 2-0. The suddenly prolific Scott McTominay with two goals in each of those games. Unbelievable, huh? sometimes, I don't know, the soccer gods say, let's just touch this person here. And the person goes, well, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of running around and he's showing up late and everything that he touches is going in the back of the net. And they're not just beating, you know, the San Marinos and stuff like that. This is, you know, this is against Spain and this is, this is for real. And it's wonderful. It was wonderful to see. And the, the excitement, not just for the the players, but for these countries and cultures. And, you know, we're talking about big teams there, but, you know, we saw it with Kazakhstan and these types of moments that, you know, it's it's the national pride that is on display. We'll talk more about, you know, identity and all that kind of stuff. But it was fun to see these results, even though if they don't ultimately lead to teams going on or, or qualifying for Euros, in those moments, the pride that people are feeling. And in that moment, you know, when McTonaghy is scoring <laughs> at will and they're beating the likes of Spain, that's pretty cool. Yeah, producer Sean Sullivan, very turned off by the Spanish excuses after this one. Rodri was complaining about Scotland's time wasting. David Garcia complaining about the grass. Uh, so, yeah, Spain did not take this loss well. Mossy, and you know, we, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before, but whether it's Rodri or anybody else, you don't get to define what good soccer is for me. And I know he wasn't necessarily doing that. But, you know, when he comes out and says, it's the way Scotland or insert other team play, um, it's, you know, he said, uh, it's rubbish. You know, always wasting time and provoking you. First off, uh, when it comes to 
time-wasting or the dark arts or provo uh, provocative type of play. I mean, for all of Spain's eloquence and grace and stuff like that, they are certainly not above that. So pot, kettle, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it's just sour. It's sour grapes. And there are multiple ways to win a soccer game. And saying that this is the right way to win it, you're never, ever going to win when you do that in the, in, the, in, the, in the world of public perception. And you can say, well, it, it should matter more. It should matter more how you ultimately play. Fine. You play for Spain, okay? <laughs> we're, we're talking about Scotland here, okay? And I love the fact that there is a, uh, a practical approach from the team. And it doesn't mean that you can't you know, do beautiful things or in times you can't be romantic. But again, good soccer or beautiful soccer or romantic soccer that is in the eyes of the beholder. And I don't get to tell you what it is. And Rodri doesn't get to tell me uh, me what it is. So that was a beautiful result. And that was beautiful soccer. Uh, Belgium, as you mentioned, a good window. 3-0 uh, away to Sweden. Lukaku with a hat trick. And then I know it was a friendly, but beating Germany in Germany was nice. So good start to life under Domenico Tedesco. Portugal with two wins out of two. They beat Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. Ronaldo scored doubles in each of those games. By playing in the Liechtenstein game, that was cap 197. He set a new men's record. And then by scoring these four goals, he uh, increased his already men's scoring record. He's up to 122 career international goals. I said before this window, it was a mistake to bring him in. I stand by that. To me, this is fool's gold. Of course, he's going to score against this caliber of opponent. But to me, you're just kicking a problem down the road because... When you get to the Euros and you play the Frances and Englands and Belgiums, there still is going to be this question looming over whether Ronaldo at this point in his career is still the best option relative to some of the other players they have. So I would have ripped the Band-Aid off now. I think the more he entrenches himself again in the starting lineup, it becomes more awkward down the road for Roberto Martinez to replace him. So I actually don't think that this was a great development the last few days for Portugal. I, I, I completely agree. I think that this was a wasted opportunity from Roberto Martinez. And look, Roberto's a smart guy, and so there might be all sorts of things happening behind the scenes that we don't that we don't know about but now what do you do because he's come in he's shown he can still score albeit against inferior uh, opposition but he can still score and now you're married to him as opposed to using a new coach to just it's it's a natural cutoff point and it doesn't mean that in the future you can't have a testimonial or you can't have a, a day where you celebrate and if anybody deserves it, he certainly does. But that's not what this was. This was an eye to next uh, to next summer. And it doesn't preclude him from continuing on. But I think it does. Shackle is not the best word. But if you are the coach, you're never really going to advance and be the team that you can possibly be until you move on from Ronaldo. And this was a logical point for them to do it. And they're not going to do it. You, you mentioned him scoring against... Um, Liechtenstein and, and these types of teams. If is this another argument for Messi in terms of the amount of times that Messi would have been given the opportunity to play against, let's be honest, a vastly inferior opposition had he, you know, been playing for Spain or been playing for uh, France or something like that. Although Messi did some stat padding this winter sure. too, which we'll get to in a minute. Sure. But no, um, listen, I've always said Ronaldo, his club scoring records are unimpeachable. He scored against all the biggest clubs, Champions League finals, et cetera. His international scoring records, you can poke holes into 
it's a lot of scoring against teams like this in qualifying campaigns. There are a lot of minnows in Europe that you can really fatten up your stats. If you look at Ronaldo's numbers against the, the elite soccer nations in the world, it's not that great. So I actually do find his international scoring numbers to be a tad overrated. I mean, and the disparity between the top of Europe and the bottom of UEFA of all those teams relative to Comnebol, right, with the 10 teams. And okay, you, you, can, you can say all you want about Bolivia and Venezuela and stuff like that, but it's it's pretty amazing uh, the amount of quality and the lack, uh, uh, you know, the the parity that uh, that Messi from a competitive standpoint uh, is facing on a continual basis. So speaking of Messi, Argentina celebrated their World Cup title by facing Panama and Curacao. They won both games. Panama 2-0. Thiago Almada scoring the first goal in that one. And then Messi found the back of the net, his 800th career goal. But that was cool to see Almada find the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, again, this is just you're just, I guess, increasing his value as you go along. And this is going to be a fascinating um, story to follow, as we've said, as to what the valuation ultimately is for this player. And it's it's fun to watch. I don't think he is long for MLS and for Atlanta, as we've talked about here. But again, what is what is that number that you put on a player like that who's now scoring um, and it is at the height of his powers right now and a summer transfer window looming large. And then the next game against Curaçao was 7-0. Messi got a hat-trick, which meant reaching the century mark with Argentina. He's up to 102 international goals. And the vibe is that he's not leaving. A lot of people thought that winning the World Cup would be the perfect drop-the-mic moment, but I think he's having so much fun right now. He's been relieved of that pressure. So if I was a betting man, I think he's going to keep playing internationally. I think we'll see him in 2024 in the Copa America and potentially 2026 uh, in the World Cup. And he'll very likely be playing his club soccer in the United States by then. So it'll be oh, natural okay. for so him you, to... So you think... What do you mean, leaving? So he's not leaving... He's more. not the, the national team. Oh, he's not leaving the national team. Right, right. Oh, right. yeah. No, I think he's... Eh, yeah. I mean, it, it's. I mean, from a selfish perspective for a World Cup that's happening in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, we, we would love to have the arguably the greatest player ever to play the game, playing for Argentina, defending the, uh, the World Cup trophy come 2026. And if he continues on and his body seems to be holding up, that would be cool. I will be interested to see, though, if he is playing in a World Cup, like Almada, by the way, as a current member of an MLS team, because that in and of itself is, uh, is unique. And then last, last thing to wrap up a beefy opening segment, uh, Morocco 2-1 victory over Brazil in a friendly in Tangier. They were celebrating their remarkable World Cup run to the semis. Uh, Brazil under an interim coach, the under-20 guy, Hamon Menezes. Uh, Brazil looking to bring in Carlo Ancelotti as their new manager. And that actually connects to the Bayern Munich managerial development. So I'm going to save that for uh, our next segment. Look we can at you teasing that. all over the place. Yep. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will have a bunch of stuff that Mossy has already teased here. Uh, and we'll dive into the MLS weekend and look uh, to the weekend when it comes to the return of uh, the domestic league. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Okay, welcome back. Uh, all right, where should we go here, Mossy? Should we go over to uh, Major League Soccer? Yes, we're going to preview the weekend action beginning in MLS, the Fox game, the LA Galaxy hosting Seattle. Galaxy still seeking their first win of the season. Seattle coming off a 4-1 victory over Sporting KC in which Jordan Morris scored four goals. And more importantly, my boy Leo Chu with four assists in that one. Wow. Wow. Jordan <laughs> Morris. I think we were uh, we were talking last week uh, about Jordan Morris with the national team and maybe that that ship has finally sailed and, and they're moving on from him. And Jordan probably heard it and said, uh, hold on, hold on a second. And he was phenomenal. Now he was playing in a, in a striker position, which it's something when we first saw him jump, uh, jump on the scene, he was doing, and he really loved getting into the box and the balls that were being put in to your point were, uh, were pinpoint, but you got to be there. And he, he feasted. So that's, uh, that's good for him. On the other side, you got a Los Angeles galaxy, like you said, that is desperate right now. They have, uh, they've only played four games because keep in mind, uh, both LAFC and LA missed that first week with the uh, weather situation that was going to be the Classico. Only four games uh, with uh, with um, with a loss and three ties. So only three points sitting down well below the uh, playoff line here. And I know it's early days, but still, the Galaxy at home against a flying Seattle team. Um, this, this could pose problems for uh, a Galaxy team that just has not come online. And to be fair, also hasn't seen Chicharito yet uh, this season. St. Louis looking to make it six wins out of six. They will host Minnesota. My boy, Joan Klaus can't stop scoring. It's all happening for St. Louis right it's now. It's wonderful. 15 points, undefeated. Um, the loons are coming in. There, there might be, if, if I was on uh, Minnesota, which, is, which has done, done well this year, right? Uh, so far this year, even uh, without Reynoso. Uh, and that's, that's in and of itself a story that I suppose at some point needs to be told, but they're sitting at fourth at eighth, uh, in eighth place. If I was watching St. Louis last week, cause the rest of the, the league is hate watching St. Louis. They, they want them to lose and stop this streak and kind of, uh, revert to, uh, to the mean of an expansion team. And St. Louis is having none of it, none of it. They keep going. But if I'm the next team that's playing them, I want them to keep winning because I want to break that streak. I want to be the ones that finally show St. Louis for what the, for what they are. Now, um, we've talked about the gifts that uh, St. Louis, but they've created their own opportunities. And, that, and to your point, they have finished. They know what they are. They know what they aren't. And they have a Minnesota team coming in right now that I think looks at this opportunity. At some point, it's 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 going to break down. They're not going to be given the luck. They're not going to be able to finish their chances. I don't know if it's going to happen here, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if St. Louis just continues to roll on. But if I'm the if I'm the loons, I'm licking my chops to say I'm going to put an end to this fairy tale right now. Now that's interesting. You said people are rooting against St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Is this story rubbing people the wrong way? Have they already adopted kind of a villainous uh, identity? Well. Not a villainous identity. I just think that when something happens that nobody predicts, when something happens that is so against the grain that you are looking for for reason and logic in an unlogical type of situation, that you want to be, uh, you, you want to be, you want normalcy to return, and the way that normalcy would return is an expansion team losing an expansion team struggling, an expansion team at the very best, at least being competitive. And yes, we have had outliers before, but it's different when you're talking about Atlanta or LAFC. We're talking about St. Louis right now. 
And so a lot of people are sitting around scratching their heads saying, well, how are they are they doing this? And you even have people reaching right now as to, well, they're you know, they're playing this incredibly evolved, progressive, uh, revolutionary type of style. And they're doing something called pressing or high pressing <laughs> or all this bullshit out there. They're they're not doing anything that hasn't been seen before. They're just doing it really, really well. And they know exactly what they are. And they have a really good nucleus of players. They haven't experienced ridiculous amounts of injuries. And well done. Well done to everybody there on the field and off the field for what they have done so uh, done so far. And they, well, I think, would be the first people to tell you that this cannot last. This will break. And when it breaks, what does it come down to? That's the big question as to how good actually are they when it comes to a full season. But so far, so good. And it's, and it's fun. So I think people, again, they just want what they consider normal to happen. And the sooner that St. Louis, is, St. Louis loses, the more normal it gets. Uh, New England off to a strong start this season. Four wins out of five games. They currently sit atop the Eastern Conference, and they will host NYCFC. All right. Well, NYCFC is a, a shadow of their former selves, and they have nobody to blame but themselves. And New England, um, you know, maybe this is a return to form, and maybe Bruce Arena rides again. So far, so far, so good. Um, and I, and I got to pick New England on this one. I mean, I think they just have been better through a very young season, but so far. And this is in New England, right? So Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just don't see NYCFC really being themselves until after the summer. So they, they just have to find points and scrape points wherever they can and just don't be out of it come summer where they can make some changes. Uh, switching gears to Europe, the biggest game in Europe this weekend takes place in Germany. Bayern Munich hosting Dortmund in the latest edition of their Klassiker. Dortmund one point ahead of Bayern atop the Bundesliga table. It will be the first match in charge for former Dortmund boss uh, Thomas Tuchel. Bayern making major news over the international window by sacking Julian Nagelsmann, replacing him with Thomas Tuchel. Let's go there first. Even allowing for the fact that Bayern tend to be pretty ruthless, a lot of people surprised by the timing here. The results weren't that bad. Uh, eight wins out of eight in the Champions League this season. They just brushed aside PSG in the round of 16. They're still in the German Cup. And they're one point out of first place in the Bundesliga. But evidently, that's uh, too close for comfort. So they felt like they had to make a change. Well, what did you make of it? Maybe. And this is where what's happening inside might be completely different than the perception outside. So yes, all of those numbers would lead you to believe, hey, this is this is not dire. This is not a abject failure. If anything, you can actually point to, you know, the success. However, if behind the scenes, you as leadership look at it and say, this is not going to end well, this is heading in a direction, then that ruthlessness comes into play. And so you'll take the hit in that moment for heading it off at the pass and not letting it go to the point that you think it's going to go. Now, people may disagree that you know, it wasn't heading in that direction or it wouldn't have ultimately resulted in a in a problem. Or maybe they're trading up. I mean, as good as Nagelsmann is, and this was this Wunderkind, right? Who <laughs> and will continue to have plenty of opportunities, maybe the bloom was off. And maybe they said, we can find somebody better for this collection of players. Or maybe they said, you know, this collection of players has become complacent. 
and they need a kick in the ass. And this is exactly what needs to be done. Is it going to cost them? Yeah, but they're Bayern Munich and they can pay. And so in that moment, you know, there used to be a, a commercial for, I think it was Afrin nasal mist or whatever. It was like one second of ooh, 12 hours of ah. So that one second of ooh, my God, I can't believe they're doing actually in the long term is going to uh, benefit uh, uh, Bayern Munich. I said the Brazil coaching situation connects to this. Here's how. Uh, from what you read, Bayern were planning to make this change after the season, but they, but they got nervous because there's now a growing sentiment that Carlo Ancelotti is going to leave Real Madrid at the end of the season and take over the Brazil job, and that Thomas Tuchel is one of the guys that Real Madrid would target to replace him. And Bayern think very highly of Tuchel. They were afraid of missing out on him, so they made this move now to make sure that they grab that Tuchel. That would not surprise me in the least. And they... they revere him. I mean, they, they look at this is an upgrade. And so if this is the only way that we can do it, sucks to be you, Nagelsmann, but you know, welcome to the world. The funny thing about that, here's my red, white, and blue tie-in, okay. is that we know U.S. fans view everything through the lens of Christian Pulisic. And so Thomas Tuchel became this source of derision among U.S. fans on Twitter because they think he horribly misused uh, Pulisic and they didn't like the way Chelsea played under him. But here's a guy who's managed Dortmund PSG, Chelsea, and now gets hired by Bayern Munich to prevent him from ending up at Real Madrid. So evidently he's thought of pr pretty highly in general, his treatment of Pulisic notwithstanding. Yeah, but he's, you know, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a weird dude, like from the outside, <laughs> he's a weird dude, right? I, I don't, you know, I don't have any information as to how good he is other than what, what I see. And obviously people dig him. If Bayern Munich were to reach the Champions League final, which is entirely possible, and by the way, they face Manchester City in the quarterfinals. That's going to be fun. If they were to reach the final, for Tuchel to be his third Champions League final in the last four years with three different clubs, that, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, he, he does have something. Yes. And, and obviously, you know, sometimes it's lost in translation. And you know, when I say he's kind of, kind of strange, that's sometimes redundant when you're talking about Germans. And, and it often doesn't always translate. Uh, with what's going on. But I, I'm excited to see this. I'm excited because this is, as I said before, this is how big elite clubs do operate. They are ruthless and they do not mess around. And if they see just for an instant that it is heading in the wrong direction, they do what needs to be done to rectify the situation. This is quite the game to make your debut on, though. His first right? game on the Bayern bench <laughs> is against Dortmund. I will say, though, Bayern, they've won their last eight home Bundesliga matches against Dortmund by a combined score of 33-6. to six, And now they're getting this new manager bounce. I would actually be very surprised if Bayern didn't win this game. I would too. They, I mean, that's why you're in there and you've been given this Ferrari to drive it. And while you have never driven it, you still can understand how it works. And as far as Gio Reyna, Dortmund do have some injuries in the attack. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that he might start this game. But I'm just not getting that vibe that he's... Uh, that highly thought of right now by them that they would start him in a game like this. But we'll see, maybe. Do you think Gio Reyna will be with Dortmund come next fall? Yes. I don't think there's a great market for him right now because of the injuries. So he'll okay. have to stick it out there another season. And um, In terms of this coaching carousel, by the way, and this will get us a talking segue to England, uh, Nagelsmann reportedly a target for Tottenham. 
And Who isn't a target that for was, Tottenham? That was the other big coaching news during the international window. They did let go of Antonio Conte, which was expected after that remarkable press conference where he was basically asking to be let go. And so that did, in fact, happen. <sighs> All right, look. <laughs> you know, coaches, there, you know, there is the kind of traditional trope out there of, of some coaches that are uh, grumpy and curmudgeon, uh, curmudgeonly and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, Conti for me, I, I'm, I'm not denying the fact that, that he is quality uh, and that obviously people see quality in him. But it just, it seems like it's so much work and that nothing pleases him. And I know there are those that will argue is that's what makes him great because he is constantly demanding more. But for, for a guy that in the way that he talked about the game and the way that he kind of um, manufactured his exit and basically blew it all up, what, what he was saying at times was, no, I'm about emotion. Well, part of emotion is joy. I'm not sure he takes much joy in what he is doing. I'm not sure that other than the millions and millions of dollars that he makes and the lifestyle that it affords him, I'm not sure how much joy he has. And maybe that's just the shield that he puts up to the, uh, to the outside. But I think that that could get exhausting as a player or on his staff. I mean, I like, I like individuals that I can see they have joy. It doesn't mean they're not intense. It doesn't mean they don't get angry. It doesn't mean that they don't expect from themselves and others um, a lot. But it just seems joyless. <laughs> and life's too short for that, whether it's on or off the soccer field. So while Tottenham are going through all this drama, their North London rivals are chugging along, hoping to win their first Premier League title since 2004. This weekend, Arsenal will play host to Leeds, a Leeds side minus the injured Tyler Adams. We'll see what that means for Wesson McKinney and what position he has to occupy in the midfield. But yeah, this one, uh, not looking good for Leeds on paper. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I, if, if, but if this were, you know, because everyone well, from an Arsenal perspective, from Piers Morgan on down, is waiting for that, that moment. Nobody wants to say anything. I mean, this could be that moment. Who knows? Be, because this is... This should be an Arsenal win. Easy. Uh, Arsenal with an eight-point lead over City. They've played one more match, though. Manchester City this weekend. They are home to Liverpool. This has been the fixture in English football the last few years, but Liverpool not holding up their end of the bargain this season. They're only in sixth place, but still a game I'm looking forward to. Keep in mind, Erlen Holland, a doubt. He missed the Norway games because of a groin injury, and they're not sure if he'll be fit enough to play in this game. This is actually the earlier game, by the way. City play Liverpool first. So they'll be looking to win to put some pressure on Arsenal when they play Leeds later on. Yeah, City-Liverpool, 4.30 a.m. for us here in Los Angeles. So for you and I, that means waking up early. For Sean Sullivan, that means coming home early from the club. So, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean as much now, but it still means something. And these are still two great teams. And by the way, two great managers. And both of them, you know, to, to in relative to my last point, I, I see the joy in both of them in the way that they coach and the way that they view the game. Speaking of Sean Sullivan, he came up with a cheeky question Ooh, here in the rundown. Okay, I didn't see it yet. What is it? If Pep and Klopp were become available to the U.S. national team tomorrow, you could have one of those two guys. Which one would you pick? If Pep and Klopp were available tomorrow 
to coach the U.S. men's national team, which one would I pick? I would pick Klopp. I think that Pep is more high maintenance. I think that Pep is more easily frustrated. I think that Pep requires much more at his disposal to make the machine work. Now, he is almost always given much more at his disposal, which is why those machines are beautiful in what they do. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything crazy that the U.S. men's national team is not that type of machine. And so I think that I would go with Klopp. It also, I think, going back to the joy question, I think that Klopp would resonate more with a pers from a personality perspective to the Americanness of this team. I think he would resonate from a public perspective more, you know, that, that smile of his, and it's not that Pep doesn't smile or anything like that, but I just think that, I think he would get it more and get it quicker in terms of what he was up against and therefore he would be able to have more success than Pep. I was talking to Allie Wagner. Uh, she was at Fox a couple of days ago and she recently ran into Pep Guardiola at a game and she was trying to sell him on coaching women's. You've done everything on the men's side. How about coaching women's? And he did not dismiss it entirely. He said, I've thought about it. Well, a gig's a gig. I mean, you know, he's a coach and every coach is looking for their next opportunity. And with more attention being paid, with more money being paid and more opportunities. I mean, if, if I was a coach, I would never want to limit myself. And if a whole nother avenue of opportunity, of employment opportunity is there on the women's side, you're dumb if you say anything that it's going to inhibit you from uh, being able to access that. Uh, two quickies before we go. Uh, Newcastle hosts Manchester United on Sunday. That's a good game. Rematch of the League Cup final they recently played. And then in Italy, Napoli hosts AC Milan, which is a little preview of their Champions League quarterfinal tie they're going to play uh, later in April. So all right. looking forward to well, that. All sorts of stuff there. And before we go, um, uh, did you have something else? Or, uh... No, I'm sorry. Okay. Just before we go, uh, I think I mentioned a couple pods back how the my viewing patterns have changed with the Apple deal and with MLS all being consolidated into this one time frame. And I just, I don't see as many games as I have done in the past. And it actually kind of bums me out that there's not uh, a consistent diet of MLS games throughout the weekend and throughout the week. But, you know, that's a, that's a choice that they have made. But what it has done is also uh, opened up other games that I wouldn't necessarily be watching. For example, USL games or um, NWSL, by the way, congratulations to the NWSL, uh, NWSL on a, uh, another season, the start of another season, record, uh, attendance, uh, in the opening weekend. And I found myself watching a bunch of games because they were simply on, and I like to watch soccer. And once the European games are off, and obviously this is, this is an international weekend, but once those morning games or these early afternoon games are done, I like stuff that's on. And there's a whole lot of domestic soccer uh, that is on. So I found myself, you know, sitting on the couch and screaming and yelling about, you know, why French didn't save that that shot from outside the box and then going on and watching Angel City uh, later on in the day. So the the situation that MLS has created has actually forced isn't a good word but just enabled, I guess, me to watch more games that I wouldn't necessarily uh, be watching. So I don't know if that's, that's a, a good or bad thing. Soccer is soccer, and I'll watch soccer no matter what. But if it's not on, 
then there's no way for me to watch it, <laughs> obviously. And there was plenty of soccer on. It just wasn't MLS as it has been in the uh, in the past. But whatever you're watching, great. And congratulations, like I said, to NWSL, the most successful women's professional soccer league in history. And I think um, the best soccer league currently from a women's perspective in the world. And they continue on and they're doing great things on and off the field. Anything that, else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexa. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, it's time for that part of the show when uh, we take your questions and your comments and concerns. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi if you want on all the social media platforms. Keep in mind that our handle on all the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. That is 657 549 2297. You can leave us a message and uh, let us know what you're thinking. What do we got this week, Moss? We've got a couple of voicemails. Let's hear the first one right now. Hey guys, this is Fighting Ewok. Uh, I'm currently around Atlanta, Georgia, and I just wanted to comment on your question about whether or not we care if there are mercenaries on the national team or if we, uh, if we just want to win by any means necessary. Frankly, I just want to win. And so that's number one. So the, the fact that, that Flo Balligan is, uh, quote-unquote, could be a mercenary or may not have feelings for the U.S., uh, I think. Second point, those feelings, regardless of how deep they are, will develop over time. And so whatever pride he has now, I think, will continue to grow, and he will love the team. He will love the other kids on the team, the players, and uh, ultimately uh, he will end up loving this country especially after that 2026 World Cup. So I think at first it may be a mercenary thing, but ultimately I think his love will also come through. So the answer is it's both ways and both love for him and him for our country will develop. Thanks, guys. Love the pod. Keep it up. Okay, the fighting Ewok. Thank you for your question. And I, and I love the way that it references something that we have talked about recently. And let's be honest, it's kind of evergreen over the over the years. And that is this this concept of, what should the national team be, especially in the context of uh, dual nationals? Now, keep in mind, dual nationals have been around for well before even I was playing. And hell, I'm a potential dual national with my Greek background. Um, we had dual nationals uh, that played on the teams that I played and played in, in World Cups. And first off, I want to make very, very clear when we're having this discussion, nobody is questioning uh, whether anybody has the right to play on the national team. You have an American passport. That's all you need to play on the national team. But I do think that there is a conversation and a discussion and a bigger one to be had about what a national team represents. You know, we come off of seeing the incredible scenes of Messi and company return to Argentina and play their first time in front of the country, in front of the people. 
um, as World Cup champions. And these incredibly emotional and passionate scenes of the players and the fans and the celebration, not just of these soccer players and what they did, but the celebration of the country and culture and that carrying that to a world in every single time that they walk on the field. And so I do think that there is a separation and a differentiation between a club situation and a national team. And I do think that you need to feel something for that country when you walk on the field, when you put that jersey on, when you put your hand over your heart, when you sing that song, and when you represent your country. And in my case, when it comes to the United States, representing what I feel is the greatest country in the world. And it goes beyond the actual play. It goes beyond the scoring of goals. It goes beyond whether you win or lose the game. You do have to feel something. I, I liked what Ewok said in his uh, message in that it is something that can develop over time. But I do think at some point it has to happen because somebody that is a mercenary, uh, that is an, a mercenary ultimately only cares about the game only cares about how he or she or the team plays and ultimately only cares about winning and losing. I do think that you have to care about more than that. And maybe to Ewok's point, and I do agree, 2026 can illuminate. And who knows? By the way, you can be born in the United States, you can grow up in the United States and still not have that affinity. You can have never stepped foot in the United States, not speak English, and just have a passport and have an incredible pride and connection and emotion to the team. And you don't know ultimately until the players are there. But you do, if you are part of that team, know when it exists. You know if you have it, you know have others have it, you can feel it, you can sense it. And yes, there is a power behind it. And if you are ultimately a mercenary, either an individual or collectively in the way that you think about this game that you are playing, I think you're cheating yourself and I think you're cheating the country that you represent. And no, I don't want players that don't feel anything for the country that they are playing for representing my country. I, I want you to feel something when you walk out there. And yes, it may develop in time, but it has to develop. And I also recognize this tug and this pull when it comes to internationals uh, and dual, dual internationals that have the countries of their origin or countries of their family's origin and incredible connections and a pull towards one way or the other. And ultimately, it's not an easy decision sometimes. But when that decision is made, I want it to be because ultimately, you have that feeling when you walk out there on the field. And it might not come to Ewok's point right at the beginning. It might take time, but it better be there. And come 2026, when that team walks out there on that field and they're wearing the stars and stripes and they're putting their hand over their heart and they're singing that song and they are representing our country, they're representing my country, I want to know that each and every one of those young men is feeling a pride that supersedes all the other stuff when it comes to winning, losing, scoring, competition, that regardless of what ultimately happens, they will have done it with honor and they will 
be proud of the opportunity that they were given. The tricky thing is you've also spoken about the magic of the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And so there are some players that look at it and say, look, I identify more with this country, but the reality is my chance to play in a World Cup is with this country. And it's just something I want to experience in my career and my life to be able to see what it's like to take part in a World Cup. Do you have any sympathy for, for that? I have sympathy and, and maybe a, a little sadness if and when they do walk on the field, if they don't feel anything. And I don't doubt that there are players that have walked on the field for that experience of playing in a World Cup that ultimately have no connection or feeling or emotion to, for the team, or for the country that they are representing. I, I, I would feel sadness if a player, whether it was a player on the U.S. or anybody else, actually did that because I, I do. Otherwise, it's you know this is just a club then, and it's not just a club; it's a country. And I know that that pride or that nationalism sometimes is frowned upon in in this day and age, but I think that there is a power, and I think that there ultimately is a value to that. In terms of uh, in terms of what uh, what is going on, a slight digression here. I wonder what Italians are thinking about right now because mm -hmm. Roberto Mancini has been banging this drum that Italy is not producing good enough players, and Brazil and Argentina produce better players. And so the Italian Federation they've created this database of all these South American players that have some connection that might make them eligible for Italy, and they're actively recruiting them. And there's already four or five players on the Italian team now that were born in Brazil. Obviously, Jorginho, his case, I don't mind that much. He moved to Italy at a pretty young age. But Rafael Toloi, Luis Felipe, Emerson Palmieri, João Pedro. They have now brought in this Argentinian striker, Matteo Retegui, who scored against England yeah. and Malta. When you perform, it makes it more palatable when you help them win. But nevertheless, um, I've now read about two more guys today. They're going after this Argentinian Galopo, who plays for São Paulo in Brazil, and this uh, Brazilian winger, Pepe, who plays for Porto. Um, they previously tried to get Bremer and Martinelli and Rafinha, and those guys thankfully chose to stay with Brazil. But I don't know. I mean, you, you played in Italy. You know what a proud footballing nation. Yeah. I wonder how they feel about it. If Roberto Mancini gets his wish, half that squad is going to be players that were born in other countries that are really only playing for Italy because they, they didn't think they could get into the Brazil-Argentina squad, most of them. And that was clearly the case with Retegi. So, uh, I mean... Well, this is where that question uh, that Ewok asked actually is pertinent because... Do you care how your national team wins? Does it matter? And there are some that say, no, I just want it to win. And from an American perspective, if, if you just look at it from a practical uh, standpoint, the U.S. doing well at a World Cup, at a men's World Cup, lifts all boats, right? It, it, it helps the game. So there is an incredible value to that. But how do you achieve that? Because ultimately, if you, if you only care about winning, that's fine because, as we just said, there is a value to that. But I think that there has to be something more. I care about winning. I want to win, but I don't want to win at all costs. I don't want to win with a group that has no connection, that has no emotion, that has no pride to the country that I love. <laughs> that, that, to me, that throws completely out what the whole concept of international soccer is. That throws completely out what the whole concept of a World Cup is. It's all of the nations and cultures coming together and celebrating all of our, well, all of our connection through this game, but celebrating all of our countries and cultures. I mean, the tears streaming down people's faces, whether it's the players on the field or the fans in the stands, 
when that national anthem plays or when a team, we're going to see it this summer in the Women's World Cup, when teams are there for the first time. And what that means, not from a soccer perspective, but you're on the world stage and your country and culture is being celebrated in that moment through the most incredible vehicle out there, which is soccer. And if that doesn't mean anything, then I think we've lost the plot. And I think it's turned into something completely different. And it might be awesome in its own way, but it's something completely different. Anything else, Masi? Uh, one more voice. Oh, we got another one. Okay. Yes. Let's, uh, okay. let's take a listen to it right now. Hey, Alexi and Masi. This is Alex from Chicago. Um, I had a question. I was listening to Herb Gomez's podcast, and he was saying how he's baffled that Hugo Perez doesn't have a quote-unquote better job uh, you know, within the Federation or within one of the better MLS clubs. Um, do you think he deserves a better position? You know, U.S. national team former player, and then would you throw his name into the hat for the U.S. men's national team job, or do you think a good level MLS club would be better for him? Thanks. Okay, uh, good question uh, there, Alex from Chicago. Hugo Perez, um, I played with him, one of the great players in history. I played with him in the 94 World Cup, and he was coming to the end of his career, so I didn't get the best of Hugo Perez. But look, incredible, graceful, um, wonderful left foot, saw passes that others didn't see, got out of situations that most of us couldn't figure out how to get out of, and was just a real talent on the field. And now what we're seeing is he also is a talent off the field in terms of the coaching. And he has a wonderful opportunity. If you ever get a chance, by the way, to sit down and talk with him, he's really interesting. Um, I guarantee you that he won't agree with everything that you say, no matter who you are. Uh, but that's a good thing. And he will do it in a civil and respectful way. He has his ideas when it comes to what American soccer is, what it isn't, what it should be. But I think he has done an incredible job with El Salvador. When I watched this El Salvador team in the octagonal, I was so impressed with how competitive they were. Now, they weren't quite ready for prime time, and timing is everything in life. And so that's why 2026, I think they have just a wonderful opportunity. Because keep in mind, three teams automatically qualify in the US, Mexico, and Canada. Another three teams from whatever it's going to be in terms of the qualifying process, the top three teams will then go uh, automatically qualify out of CONCACAF. World Cup qualifying. And then there's even a chance for the next two that finish to go into the intercontinental playoffs. So potentially you could have eight teams from CONCACAF in the World Cup in 2026. So this is a huge, huge opportunity for Hugo Perez to lead this El Salvador team, which has gotten better and better and better. And even the other night when they played against the US, uh, this was not a pushover type of team. They just ran out of a little bit of juice uh, in the second half. And the U.S. is a, ultimately a better team. But this is a team that will give you a game. This is a team that is feeling confident. And I think he's done an incredible job. And I'm not sure the El Salvador fans or federation recognize how, how much quality they have in Hugo Perez. Now, to his opportunities when it comes to, to the U.S., I don't know why he has not been uh, tabbed to, uh, to coach an MLS team. I do know that he has been, and this isn't a reason why, but when you talk to him, he has problems with the way U.S. soccer and the development of the U.S. soccer and um, the, the resources and the coaching of youth soccer has gone in the United States. 
And I think he has some uh, some interesting critiques and analysis. I agree with some of them. I, I don't agree necessarily uh, with all of them. But this is a mind, uh, a mind that I think is thinking about the game in a different way. And, that's, and that is a good thing. I hope he gets uh, the opportunity from international perspective to lead this team to qualifying. And then fingers crossed, he qualifies El Salvador because I would love nothing more than to see a Hugo Perez led El Salvador team in 2026 in that World Cup. And I think El Salvadorians would love to see it uh, and Americans would love to see it because he is, you know, certainly has this incredible history uh, with the U.S. team, but obviously has an incredible passion for his uh, his homeland of El Salvador, too. Eight CONCACAF teams at the next World Cup. Yeah. That's a lot. Why is that a lot? If they earn it, they ultimately go through the process. You know what? You're, <laughs> you're such a snob down there can't, with can't your wait for that. Can't wait for that Armenia-Curaçao World Cup group game. You're such a jerk. God, you're such a jerk. Uh, that's it. Long live CONCACAF. All right. Well, thank you to everybody for uh, sending in uh, your questions. And in particular, the Fighting Ewok and Alex there. Uh, from uh, uh, Chicago uh, and other parts over there um, for sending in questions on the hotline. Again, the hotline is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I'll give you my one for the road. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh, thank you for hanging with us to the end. At the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, do you know we have come up on a uh, anniversary of sorts? Uh, seven years ago, Christian Pulisic made his debut for the U.S. men's national team. Now, why is this interesting or important? Well, I don't know. I just find it interesting, important in that certainly in my lifetime, there has never been a player um, more lauded and with higher expectations from the American soccer public out there. There are those that will, have, will say that he has yet to live up to those expectations, and there are others that have said, yeah, he continues to get better and better, and ultimately might become the greatest American soccer player from a men's perspective that we have ever seen. This was, as we know, a young player uh, who grew up in the American system, doing a lot of things that American players and young American players do. Parents who were from soccer, who encouraged him. Uh, youth soccer and mom and dad, like we said, and I'm sure orange peels and juice boxes at halftime. And then took a much less traveled path in going over at a very young age uh, to Dortmund, Dortmund and developing over in Europe. And so it was with this American background and then uh, the European youth development that ultimately created this, uh, this player. You know, we live in an, in an age where we have already lived through the Freddie Adu experiment and the pitfalls that uh, we often try to avoid and talk about when it comes to Freddie Adu or other you know, young talent. Uh, for the most part, I think that Christian Pulisic has 
avoided that. And I think, for the most part, Christian Pulisic has lived up to the hype and lived up to expectations. By no way am I suggesting that he can't get better, and I hope doesn't get better. And let's be honest, if he is to lead us to the promised land, needs to get better. But so far, so good. On the field, uh, there have been ups and downs, and that is to be expected with any player. But the highs have been pretty high. And the lows, to be honest with you, have been low and oftentimes have been attached to um, injuries and or just out of favor with an assortment of coaches. The money transfer, the big money transfer that oftentimes we use as a litmus test for how great a player is, happened coming over from Dortmund and going over to Chelsea for you know the $80 million uh, around. So that has happened. He, uh, at least by all accounts, off the field, has grown up and he is no longer the boy that we kind of saw initially and he's grown into a young man even over the last couple of weeks we have talked about his you know relative maturity and his leadership that he has taken and a much more public type of persona he is shy as we said before he is never going to be that gregarious type of person uh, no matter what he does but he certainly has grown a little bit into being a much more public type of figure. He is, not to the extent of a messy, but he is going to live the rest of his life in a relative bubble with the amount of money that he has made, with the stardom that he has achieved, with the fame that he has achieved, and with the opportunities that he will get continuing on on the field, but also off the field after he is done playing. He will forever be a American star. Who knows if he ultimately is the, the best one ever. Maybe 2026 will kind of stamp it. But it doesn't seem that long ago that we were just all getting excited about Christian Pulisic. Now, I bring this up, and I'll, I'll finish it up here, in that where is the next Christian Pulisic? Maybe we've already seen him. Maybe we haven't seen him yet. But this player that is going to just crash into our orbit, this player that is going to not only do what Christian Pulisic did, but hopefully do more and do more at a younger age and be bigger and better. Because it stands to reason that in the seven years that have come and gone between now and when Christian, Christian Pulisic first burst on the scene, there is a whole, whole almost generation now of player that has had more opportunity, more resource, more advantage. And those seeds that have been planted should be <laughs> uh, coming to full fruition now. I don't know where that is. I hope that we have it. I hope that there are players that are better than Christian Pulisic. Because if this is as good as it gets, it's still not good enough. And I love watching Christian Pulisic. I mean, the other day he was or not even arguably, he was the best player on the field in that first game against Grenada. But in the second game, he wasn't. And I think that he still has so much more to give on the field and then from a long-term perspective, uh, off the field. And I'll be really interested to see how he evolves, how he grows, uh, and how he changes going forward. I hope that involves leading the U.S., like we, like we talk about, to the promised land. But if the last seven years are any indication... And who knows what the next three years and obviously the next 10 years uh, are going to leave us. I don't know if he lives up to that billing of uh, being the best American soccer player, male American soccer player ever. But 
it's going to be fun watching him try. And it's also going to be fun watching others say, not so fast. We're going to come up behind you and we're going to not only do what you have done, but do it even better and, de- and do it even more. Uh, it was Jurgen Klinsmann who gave him his international debut. Thomas Tuchel gave him his professional debut at club level with Dortmund. Tuchel, who will be coaching against Dortmund for Bayern this weekend. You said, uh, when is the next Christian Pulisic going to show up? That next Christian Pulisic might reveal himself at the Under-20 World Cup this year. A quick little news item before we wrap things up. That tournament, which is coming up in May on Fox Sports, will no longer be in Indonesia. has to do with uh, Indonesia not wanting to allow Israel to play in it. Uh, so they've been stripped of it, and FIFA said they're going to announce in the next few days where that tournament is going to take place. Who knows? Maybe the United States. Stay tuned. We're turnkey, you know. Come on. <laughs> if there's a World Cup, you know, we'll, we'll do it. We're, we're pretty good at that. All right. Well, that'll be interesting. And, and you want that to happen. And well done, FIFA, for recognizing a problem, not m- messing around, uh, nipping in the bud, and uh, figuring in it out. In the TV show The Last of Us, the, the virus originates from Indonesia. So I'm thinking maybe that's what's really there happening it is. here, but they're there trying it to hide is. it. Art and life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Mossy, anything else before we go? That's it. All right, thank you so much for uh, bearing with us. I mean, this, is, this has been great. Uh, this new studio that we have, this temporary studio that we have, uh, we hope you've enjoyed it, uh, whether you're listening or whether you are watching and listening. Uh, we will continue here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, until our incredible digital studio gets uh, gets done. But thanks again to the men and women that have done so much work to make this in a very short period of time, not only usable, but just, just pretty awesome. Thank you for downloading and reviewing and rating and sending in your questions again on the hotline 657-549-2297 or ask Alexi, all of these different things. Uh, I, as I, as I said earlier, you know, the fact that Mossy goes around and he gets recognized everywhere he goes, that is because people are watching. That is because people are participating in the state of the union. And, uh, we, we couldn't be more appreciative uh, and have more gratitude to uh, what everybody is doing here. And it is a work in progress. It hopefully gets better and better as we go along. And if you have any suggestions, don't hesitate to uh, to let us know because there's a lot of really smart people out there that are watching and listening to this show. All right, we will be back again next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>